0: Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Samuel chapter 6? I'm going to read from verse 1 through verse 2 of chapter 7 and make four observations noting that here the ark has been recovered. This story starts a couple of chapters earlier. The, uh, well... Starts well before that. We are introduced early in Samuel to the fact that religious and civil leadership were not godly. These are God's people. They have God's word. They have the pattern of worship and how to approach God. They have the priesthood. But it's all become tainted. It's, it's not strong spiritually. It's in the era of the book of Judges. Remember I referred to the last verse or so of the book of Judges where it said, there was no king in Israel in those days and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Sadly, that extended even into the priesthood. Eli the high priest and his sons who were unrighteous men. This has affected the whole nation. The whole nation is in what some scholars call the dark ages of Israel. They were not paying attention to the proper worship of the Lord, the proper study or application of his word. And they didn't apply the covenant and the life that they're supposed to live in the covenant under the covenant into their daily lives and so they become self-centered and and even out of touch with God which which was shown as we progressed through on how they without going to the Lord even though the Lord had raised up a prophet for them They ignored all of that and went right to war against the Philistines. We're not given a good reason why. It just seemed like the thing to do. Sometimes Christians can become so involved in what is called the social gospel, just have to have something to do, that in pursuing results, As we perceive them in the social gospel, we fail in the real gospel, in the application of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church has found itself there many times in its history, where a social gospel overcomes and overwhelms the real gospel. We're going to talk about that as we look at this. Okay, so they go to war against the Philistines, they lose. They go around scratching their heads. Why did God God do this to us? Why have we lost this war? Why did Yahweh defeat us? Well, they only lost, you know, 4,000. Then they go back. But this time when they go to war, they're going to take the Ark of the Covenant with them. And there's everything wrong about that. It basically violates the sacred direction and scripture of God in the law of Moses. People aren't even supposed to look on this thing the Ark of the Covenant. But they it out to war and they lose even worse than they did. Matter of fact, they lose terribly uh, the, the second time. They're just slaughtered. And they scatter, the Israelites scatter and just leave the Ark of the Covenant out there in the field. The Philistines grab the Ark of the Covenant and take it back to where they keep their God Dagon. Now of course that was a mistake. Now point that was made last week or two is this. Because Israel, God's people, because they had become to think they had come to think that God was in a box and that they could just carry that box around and sort of order God around and and expect God to do whatever they wanted to do because they thought their God was in a box. The Philistines thought that the Israelite God was in a box. So they captured the Ark of 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 the Covenant. These Philistines did and they carried it back to their temple of Dagon. And you remember last time how Dagon fell over. They put they put the ark of the covenant they thought god was in that box so they put it up on a shelf next to dagon and the next morning dagon's on his face before the ark of the covenant well they thought this isn't good so they picked dagon back up brushed him off the next morning he had fallen over the same way with this time his head broke off and his and his hands broke off so he was useless In the sense that as an idol, he'd lost his head and lost his hands, couldn't do a thing. Then a curse came upon the people, and they had already acknowledged, these Philistines, that this Israelite God is the same God that brought these plagues upon Egypt. Well, plagues befell the Philistines plague of mice. And you remember, we read it, the plague of hemorrhoids. Yeah, I know. It's what the word says in the original text. King James tried to be a little gentle, I think, calls it tumors or something. No, hemorrhoids. So you can imagine the whole the whole nation of the Philistines were ill. And they, they knew something had to be done. There's an interesting development here that comes out in chapter We can't keep this thing. We got we to do something with, with this thing. So they sent it from one place to, the, to another within Philistia. And the curse fell wherever that thing went. So that everybody had mice and hemorrhoids. I don't know what the connection there is, but. It sounds bad enough. Now, the story continues here. And we're going to draw some some thoughts about this at the end of it. Let's start with verse 1, chapter 6. The Ark of Yahweh was in the field of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the Ark of Yahweh? Let us know in what manner we shall send it to its place. And they said, if you send the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it away empty, but you shall send it back with a guilt offering. Then you'll be cured and it will be known to you why his hand would not turn away from you. So this is the advice of the priests of Dagon and their diviners, their wizards. Send it back with a guilt offering. It gets better. And they said, what is the guilt offering which we shall send back to him? And they said, the number of the lords of the Philistines, five hemorrhoids of gold and five mice of gold. For there is one plague for all of them and for your Lord's. And you shall make the images of your hemorrhoids. It's right there in the Hebrew. You can read it. And the images of your mice who destroy the land. And you shall give honor to the God of Israel. Now, how do you think God? You know, I just got to. God has such a great sense of humor. I look forward to sitting in his lap. And me and him laughing together. Have a few laughs. So here's the Lord Jesus in heaven. Watching. And here come the Philistines. Having. Graven images of gold. And there are images of. Hemorrhoids. You know, I haven't, I'm not a hemorrhoidologist. I haven't done a lot of study on this. I'm not real sure they all look alike, so I don't know how they did this. But I can see the Lord Jesus calling for Michael to come over, the archangel, and Jesus is laughing, and Michael sees it, and he looks at Jesus, and he goes, and he kind of walks up. I don't know if they do that or not. So, you know, is this supposed to appease Yahweh? This is what they do. Each of the five places where they sent that thing within Philistia. Five images of hemorrhoids, five images of mice who are destroying the land. You shall give honor to the God of Israel. Yes, well. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from upon you and from upon your God and from upon your land. Okay, now here's again the major problem. Now listen to me. The problem is not with the Canaanites. They are always going to be Canaanites unless God intervenes in some way. The problem has been from the beginning with the Israelites. And the problem with the Israelites spilled over to affect the Philistines. So the the counsel is, you you send this offering, guilt offering. Maybe he'll lighten up on you. And upon your God, okay... Israel, in bringing the Ark of the Covenant, thinking that God was in the box, presented the testimony to the Philistines that their God is just a tribal God. He's just a local God. He's like their God, Dagon. He's just for us. He ain't for nobody else. All kinds of errors being committed by the people of God over a period of time. This, This goes back. Even before we began the study and saw the problems that existed in Israel, even in 1 Samuel. And why should you make your heart heavy as the Egyptians and Pharaoh made their hearts heavy? What happened in Egypt has always been on the minds of the Philistines, how the God of Israel... So cursed and judged with plagues. Egypt, the greatest power in the world, in their world. Will it not be just as he mocked them and they sent them away and they departed? Now take wood and make one new cart and take two milk cows. Upon which no yoke has ever come and you shall hitch the cows to the cart and return their young home from behind them, okay? Just these cows, but all the other, the, the, the little cows, you know, calves and so forth, just these. I want you to keep that on, on your mind. Mama, but separate the babies. Okay, keep that on your mind. And you shall take the ark of Yahweh, and you shall place it on the cart and the golden objects which you have sent back to him as a guilt offering. And you shall place in the box at its side, and you shall send it away, and it will go. And you will see if it goes up on the way to its own boundary, to Beth Shemesh. He wrought upon us this great evil, and if not, then we shall know that it was not his hand which touched us, it was an accident which befell us. The men did so, and they took two milk cows and hitched them to the cart, and their young, and they shut up in the house. And they placed the Ark of Yahweh on the cart, also the box and the golden mice, the images of their hemorrhoids. And the cows went straight in the road on the way to Beth Shemesh. On one highway, lowing as they went, and they turned neither to the right nor to the left, and the lords of the Philistines were going along after them as far as the border of Bethshemesh. Now the inhabitants of Bethshemesh were reaping the wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, and they rejoiced to see it. The cart had come to the field of Joshua, the Beth Shemeshite, and stood there. There was a huge stone and they split the wood, took those cows and offered them up as a burnt offering to Yahweh. And the Levites took down the ark of Yahweh and the box which was with it, wherein were the golden objects and they placed them on the huge stone and the men of Bethshemesh offered up burnt offerings and slaughtered sacrifices on that day to Yahweh. And the five lords of the Philistines had seen and they returned to Ekron on that day. And these were the golden hemorrhoids which the Philistines had sent back as a guilt offering to Yahweh one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. And the golden mice were according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines which belonged to the five lords from fortified city to open village. And even to the great stone upon which they had placed the ark of Yahweh, which is until this day in the field of Joshua, the Beth Shemeshite. And he, this is Yahweh, and he smote of the people of Beth Shemesh, for they had gazed upon the ark of Yahweh. He smote of the people, 70 men, 50,000 50, and 70 men. And the people mourned for Yahweh had struck a great blow upon the people and the men of Bethshemesh said, who will be able to stand before the ark of Yahweh, this holy God, this holy Elohim, and to whom will it go up from upon us? And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kyrgyz Jerem saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of Yahweh, come down and take it upon you. Now chapter seven. And the men of Kiriath Yeram, came and took up the Ark of Yahweh, brought it to the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and they designated, designated Eliezer, his son, to guard the Ark of Yahweh. And it was from the day, it was that from the day, the Ark was stationed in Kiriath Yeram, that the time ran on to 20 years, and all the house of Israel were drawn after Yahweh. This is just a fascinating story, and really you have to almost go nonstop from the time that they decided to go to war, but you have to lay the, you have to lay the foundation of why they felt they had the right to go to, to, to war as, as God's people. So here's what this means to us, and it says a lot of things, some of which we'll look at here, some of which we saw last time. But this is what all of this means to you and me, and it's very important. Number one, the world always suffers when the people of God fail. The history of God's people is is just a a, a line of of manic depressive behavior. Where something draws the people into the world, in the case of the story that's before us, it was the ignorance, the the uh, lax attitude, ignorance, rejection of the word of God. The Philistines. Suffered because Israel suffered. Israel suffered because of her failure before God. Israel suffered because of Israel's failure. And the Philistines also suffered. Let's move that forward to the 21st century. Let's consider the state of the church at large in the United States of America. Old mainline denominations that came forth from the Reformation. The Reformation being a great time of publishing the Bible and creating the greatest universities in the world. All the great universities across the world were created, were established because of the printing press. And the people now obtained the ability to read and they could read the word of God for themselves and in their freedom of reading the Word of God, they began to break the yoke of the Roman Church and emerge from the Dark Ages into a Renaissance. And the world, in many ways, was reborn through great ideas and wonderful preaching and some of the greatest commentaries that have been written. And people were happy in the Lord. It was a great time of revival as the Reformation spread and then as denominations were formed, even as, the, even as the Baptist movement continued on in its way as well, and there was great teaching from all of them. And these universities were established to teach the Word of God primarily to men who were to go into the ministry. Harvard and Yale were formed To teach teach the Bible. University of Chicago. These, These great universities. You study their charters. You'll see that it was for the propagation of the gospel. To teach young men. To how to study the Bible. To teach them Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And let them become expositors of the. Of the word of God. Then. Then comes in the housing higher criticism because of Darwinism and people automatically think because some guy out there said something about evolution only by theory and not by fact. Now the whole, it seems like there's a grip on those mainline denominations and they begin to compromise The Bible is inspired in spots and we are inspired to pick out the spots and the church retreats. Now what happens? Fast forward that to the grip of evolution and humanism today. Finally, ousting the teachings of Christ and everything that is holy to the real Christian church. And what happens to our young people? And when they become adults, what happens to that nation? And what happens to their children? All kinds of perversions and iniquity and wickedness begin to grip the world. Why? Because the church failed. That's why. And because of the failure of the church, the world suffers. Now, the second thing we can learn from this is that the heavy hand of God will move to his glory in spite of the failure of his people. (laughs) You know, in the previous chapter last time, we saw how the hand of God was heavy upon them. Remember that? The heavy hand of God God is moving according to his will and purpose, regardless of the failure of his elect. Now, think about this. God needed no help defeating Dagon. Yahweh did it by himself. As a matter of fact, Dagon had a head and hands. They thought Yahweh was a box. He didn't have heads and hands and he defeated them. The Philistines now begin to recognize the power of Israel's God more than Israel did. All these problems come upon them and they have to do something To get this ark out of the way. God moves to his glory in spite of the failure of his people. Number three. God never needs my help. Never. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need Shiloh's help. It is for our own good that he Gifts us, he gives us these spiritual gifts, opens doors for us. It is for our own good and our own enlightenment, but God doesn't need it. We need it, but God doesn't need it. Think about this. Here are these Philistines and these priests and these diviners say, okay, I got a plan. Take cows and separate them from their calves. Calves you know I'm not a farmer, but my guess is a nursing calf is not easily separated. I don't know somebody can tell me there. All of them? Yeah, all of them. Screaming and carrying on. What does a cow do? Nothing. So the Philistines say, okay, we're going to stand back and just watch this. If it's God... Those cows will just take that thing back to where it belongs. So let's just hang back and watch it. Not a single person was on those carts. Not a single person was driving those cows. They just started walking to where they were supposed to go. There was was neither Philistine nor Israelite who drove or directed or rode a cart it was yahweh he doesn't need our help to accomplish his purpose that's why i mentioned earlier in this message the social gospel of course we should help people we should help our own people in the in the belief those who are saved we are mandated in the New Testament to extend our first and best help to our brothers and sisters in Christ. But in our trek and as we go, we are, of course, to proclaim the Great Commission. And as the Lord gives us direction and resources Help people. Jesus helped people. I understand that. But sometimes, and I've seen it in my life, sometimes churches, even entire denominations, devote themselves to a social gospel so that the care of, of the environment, the care of animals, the care of trees, the so-called care of people in this world supplant the great commission and people become so busy I don't know feeling some sort of guilt I have no idea what it is feeling so inadequate they start making things to do God here's that's okay that's what Israel was doing when they went to war we got to do something we just, you know, we just can't hang around here. Let's go to war. Let's go pick a fight with the Philistines. They lost. Well, we'll take the Ark of the Covenant. They busied themselves even further. They lost even worse because they had forsaken the main thing of worship and obedience and an understanding of Of the Word of God and the purpose of God and the will of God, and the importance of our walking humbly before Him and and obeying Him, especially in worship and acknowledging Him in all things. They didn't do that. God needs our help somehow. God doesn't need our help, not in anything. When the church adds anything to the grace of God, it is no longer grace. It's works. Sovereign God directed those cows and those carts right where they were supposed to go. Well, the Israelites are over there. They They were... Threshing in the field or whatever. Were they that concerned about getting the Ark of the Covenant back? Ah, Apparently not. I don't know. They felt helpless. They were helpless. They couldn't do it. They'd already been whipped by those guys. Yahweh didn't need their help. Here comes the Ark of the Covenant. This old boy Joshua is out in the field and he gets all happy but still reveals his lack of reverence to Yahweh. Those people weren't even supposed to look on the ark. They totally ignored that. They got all happy and started doing their thing and God killed them. Killed them. Somewhere the people of God Have to learn the lesson that God is powerful, sovereign, holy, and to be revered and honored and worshipped. You just can't treat God the way that you want to treat You have to treat him the way he says that he is to be treated. He's the maker. He's the potter. We're the clay. God needs no help or direction from us finally. When Israelites start acting like Canaanites, God's punishment will always fall on the Israelites thus declaring his holiness to his people. In the world today, Who has the attention and the mind and the eye of God? The people of God. He doesn't need us, but we sure need him. Who does the divine protection fall in favor of All the way through the Bible, it always falls in favor of God's people and against the world. Where does the punishment start when God's people go wrong? It starts with God's people. Judgment begins at the house of God. You've heard that. So our great unction, our great cause... Our great message for the people of God is to know your God. He is holy, He is not mocked. If we sow it, we'll reap it. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. God is never mocked. God was mocked in this whole story. But the mockery started with the people of God. And beyond that, it started with the weakness in the temple of God. Eli and his sons. Who in the sanctuary of God's tabernacle were to be teaching the people the word of God. With every sacrifice that was made. With every fire that was kindled. Their job. Was to live in holy. We just studied this in Exodus. How the priesthood was separated. And they went through all of these offering rituals. And they were admonished by Yahweh through Moses to live a spiritual and clean life because of the great job they had of teaching the people the way of God. Those teachings didn't come to anybody else but the people of God. And then whatever God does will move out from there. So our great purpose Is to be humble before God. To be reverenced toward God. To recognize his holiness. And that he is above all. That we can't put him in a box. We have to adhere to his word. In the best way we can. I understand. You can't nor can I. Memorize. 66 books of two testaments but we keep reading it and we become more familiar with it. We, we become more familiar with the God who is in the Bible. And the more we read it, the more we realize who Jesus is and who we are and what our responsibilities are before him and what he has declared his responsibility is before us. And it humbles us even more and it drives us to worship and praise. And we continually seek to walk in sanctification Knowing that as we go all the way through life, this burden and that burden, this bad thing and that bad thing, one at a time, will fall off as we focus more on Him and less on ourselves. Israel was so far away from that at the beginning of this story. But Samuel's coming, and then David's coming as well. Okay, we'll stop there and we'll have our deacon prayer time.